Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Um, this is going to be uh, a different, interesting kind of, an ep- kind of an episode. I'm already pretty excited. Uh, we're going to be talking about the WTA edition of Roland Garros. We're going to be recapping it. Um, living through the best moments of those two weeks. Um, and joining me today is my good friend, Owen. How are you doing today, Owen? I'm doing great. Uh, Roland Garros was a really thrilling two weeks. The end of the WTA tournament was absolutely spectacular. And yeah, as with a lot of majors, uh, there were a lot of great storylines, but I think this one in particular, you just had so much going on. I mean, four first-time major semifinalists, an unexpected winner. You had huge upsets, withdrawals. Um, at times it actually felt like a little bit like there were too many stories. Um, and then your, uh, your classic, uh, screw ups by the FFT and the Roland Garros administration. But, uh, despite that, we got a lot of great tennis. So yeah, really excited to recap. Yeah. I mean, just like you, it felt like a really, really long tournament (laughs) just because of all of those reasons that you, that you mentioned. And I think it, uh, it was important for it to end on a high, especially after what happened, uh, at the beginning with the, all the unfortunate things that happened with Osaka withdrawing and then the way the FFT, kind of handled it all four majors, you know, coming out and, you know, putting up a really harsh statement, but yeah. And obviously we wish Osaka well, she's not going to be playing Wimbledon and the USO uh, and the Olympics. Uh, oh wait, actually she's, she's no, just she's out confirmed of for the Olympics, she's confirmed yeah, for the Olympics, but she's withdrawn from, from Wimbledon. So we wish her, we wish her the best and we hope um, she could be, she can come back when she is ready and um yeah, and so so I guess uh, apart from that, we also had uh, a first-time champion, um, somebody who's who was on a win streak before uh, coming in, and she was she just missed being unseated. She was thirty-three in the world, um, and we'd we'd heard a little bit about her, you know, earlier on in the year. She made a WTA one thousand final in Dubai, and uh, she pushed Sviantec, I believe, in Rome. She had two match points against Sviantec, and everybody was kind of circling that match along with the uh, Nadal. Uh, match point save against uh, Shapovalov, and they were, obviously they both went on to win the title, and they were both favorites at the French Open. So, if we look at all of that, you know, ideally most of us should have seen a deep run from her, but she proved us all wrong and went all the way, and it was such a great uh, feel-good story at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, even though she was absolutely crushing her opponents in in the early rounds, like I think, um, I think she was winning a lot of really lopsided sets. Yeah, like yeah. Um, uh, first round she lost a set, but second round she lost five games, third round lost five games to Svitolina, the fifth seed. And then against Sloane Stephens, who can be very dangerous and had just taken out Mukova in straight sets, she lost two games, 6-2, 6-0. Um, yeah. but, but for me, it wasn't until she beat Coco Goff in straight sets in the quarterfinals, 7-6, uh, 8-6 seven, seven, six, six in the tiebreak, 6-3, that I started thinking about her as a title contender uh, because Goff had been in really good form in the clay season. And uh, foolishly, in retrospect, um, I actually picked her to win that match. But uh, Krajikova did a great job of clutching out the first set. And then uh, second was more comfortable. And um, and it was by no means easy even after that. I mean, she might have played the match of the WTA tournament against Maria Sakkari in the semifinals. We're going to talk a lot more about that later, especially the third set. And, uh, and the final got nervy, too. She took the first set uh, pretty easily, but then lost the second 6-2 and had to regroup to win it uh, 6-4 in the third, likely with um, with her body and mind on absolute overload at that point, considering all the tennis and stress she had gone through in the last two weeks. So it was a really, really impressive victory. It's not often that you see someone win uh, singles and doubles um, and also compete in the mixed doubles. In fact, you basically don't ever see that. I think the last time, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think someone said the last time someone had won the singles and doubles titles at a major is like 1948 or something like that. 
Yeah, I think she was the first player since Mary Pierce uh, in 2000 who won the singles ah, right, and the doubles. Right. Um, and I believe she's the first player since Martina Navratilova in 1987 to have won mixed doubles and singles in the same year. So I think she won she won mixed at the Australian Open. So because of that, oh, okay, she's now well, in yeah. she's in company with Martina. And that's uh, that's actually that's a good point to bring up now is that um, she's from the Czech Republic. She's 25 years of age. Um, she was a pretty decent junior, but there's a really interesting story that when she was 19, um, she was not having the best results and she was playing a lot of ITFs or just coming up on the tour. And she just knocked on one of the best uh, players of the nineties to play from Czech Republic was Yana Novotna, who obviously had um, three major final defeats and one really, really stinging loss to uh, Steffi Graf in a Wimbledon final uh, where she was four, one up in the third set. So she won a lot of people's hearts and was a very, a popular, well-deserving Wimbledon champion and, uh, you know, legend uh, along and Martina Navratilova coached her as well. So there's this big, uh, you know, Czech kind of uh, background and heritage associated with, with her story, which I found really interesting. But Yana Novotna basically coached and mentored her and um, she passed away in 2017. Um, and so, and she meant a lot to Krajikova and helped her tremendously with her career and on her mental side of, of the game and gave her that belief that she needed to compete at this highest level and so to see her like win the win the title and her her Yana Novotna's last words to Krajikova were um just try your best um and give your absolute all and try to your best to win a win a grand slam and now she's done that and she's dedicated this to her and it was just such a great story and uh, and moment and you're right I mean she handled it with such poise to beat uh Svitolina like that three and two was really impressive and six two six love against Sloan Stephens but you're right. The match against Coco Goff, that was the one where I, where I, where I thought, okay, wow, she's she could she could win this title now because the way she saved five set points in that first set, and um, I mean Coco Goff was serving at five three and had a set point, and she had um, you know chances in the tiebreak, and it was just a, one of those sets that you felt like was so crucial that whoever went on to win that set would have been in the driver's seat and had a good chance to. Yeah, you know, make the semis, and then obviously the match against the way she held her nerves. And I, no, I just, I, I just like her game. She has, she has a lot of variety, and she, she plays the moon balls really well, which is Absolutely. not something you see very yeah. often. And we're going to talk about that in a bit too. Yeah. And she plays them in a kind of an attacking way, where she sets up the points with them, and she has these big uh, loopy ground strokes that suit the clay. I feel like really well, but also she can disguise her shots well she just puts her opponents in really like uncomfortable positions mm-hmm. that makes them you know dig out uncomfortable uh shots on the defense and she's not afraid to she she's uh quite composed in big moments and that's uh you know that's a quality that will take her pretty far i feel yeah. like on an indie surface definitely yeah i was a big fan of her backhand uh like you said it's almost a loopy motion but she disguises yeah. it really well like she can reproduce the deep cross court ball very easily uh, but she can also swipe it inside out when she wants um i thought that was a big weapon of hers in the last couple of rounds of the tournament uh because mm-hmm. you always had to be aware that that shot could be coming but if you stepped over too far to cover it you'd get burned by the heavy cross court and yeah her, her game i thought was just very well-rounded and um and I guess uh, since you talked about the moon balls, do we want to use that to segue into yes. semifinal with Sakari, which uh, was one of the matches of the tournament? Let's let's discuss that match. That's uh, that's what that was my favorite match of this whole tournament. And um, you know, I guess they split the first two sets, and it got really interesting um, in that third set because uh, Sakari, as we should uh, mention, she first she took out Sofia Kennan in the fourth round, one and three. Yep. So that that already was pretty impressive because Cannon was the defending champion, although not in her best form, but still a decisive victory there. And then the win over Sviantek was one that uh, was uh, probably the biggest surprise of the tournament because um, yeah, Sviantek obviously so. um, hasn't, hadn't lost any game, uh, any sets until that point. If you count the uh, straights, all, all the sets that she won last year, 28 in a row. And then, I mean, 28, um, she had something like 28 sets, one in a row, something like that. She won, yeah. Yeah, 14 sets in a row in the beginning, and then she won all of her then, like, matches in straight sets. Right? Yeah, so, so 22. So 22, yeah. 22 sets, but I think 28 games is what she lost in the, um, in right, the 2020 right, yeah. French Open. But so she's up against, and I mean, Sakari is one of those players who has tremendous self-belief. She's uh, 
she's improved so much. She's improved her serve so much. And in that match against Fiontech, she was serving really, really well. And she mm-hmm. basically had one break in both sets and she carried that to victory, which is something you don't see very often on a clay court, let right. alone in women's tennis these days where there's just so many breaks of serve and so many players return extremely well. And Fiontech was a little bit hurt in the second set. Um, but nonetheless, it's a good, still a good result, I think, for Iga to you know back up her uh, run with the quarters because I think um, she's definitely going to be one to win many more majors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I, think, I think it definitely was a shock because for the first four rounds, it looks like this was going to be Sviantek's tournament. Um, she, mm-hmm. like you said, she was so dominant at Roland Garros last year, and she, um, though she was down match point in Rome, she won it so emphatically in the final. Yeah. So, and even though she didn't look as imperious in the first four rounds as she did at Roland Garros last year, she she still wasn't dropping sets. She was beating players who were putting up extremely good performances. Um, like I think in in the third round. Um, mm-hmm against sorry i'm blanking but i remember uh the first set of her third round match was really really high quality um and she probably should have lost it but um yeah against contivate contivate hit like 23 right. winners and like 11 on force errors and uh and Sviantek won the set anyway so it really looks like um like she was going to defend her title she was a massive favorite when the quarterfinals started because mm-hmm. uh like all the top players were out at that point really um but yes, yeah, Sakari just put together a very composed, mature performance, uh, really didn't have lapses, and won, won that one comfortably. And yeah. like you said in, in the semifinals, I don't think the first two sets were um, really um, anything that special, but the third yeah. set of this match was one of the absolute best sets of the tournament. And, and it was sort of curious how it unfolded, because for a while it didn't look like it would be an epic set. Um, Sakari mm-hmm. broke for 2-1. And I distinctly remember a break point in the next game where Krajikova had a bunch of opportunities to take that backhand down the line or slightly inside out, like I talked about, that she's so good at doing. Uh, but she chose not to attack, and the rally ended up going on for a while, and eventually she missed a cross-court backhand. And mm-hmm. so Sakari went on to hold, and um, and she held without facing a break point until it got to 5-4. Um, right. And Krajikova was even down a match point at 3-5. And so at that point, it seems like she had sort of missed her chance to make the set competitive, and Sakari had just ascended to a to another level. And Absolutely. The 5-3 the match point save was was brilliant because yes. um, it was set up. I believe she hit a cross-court backhand swing volley winner, which yep, was exactly. absolutely absolutely gutsy. And you know she trusted her ability and her instincts uh, at that moment to, to go for that shot. And it was such a... Uh, you know, it felt like it didn't feel as much of a turning point to me, but more like, wow, she's still in this match. Yes, and definitely. To hold and make uh, Sakari serve it out, that was going to be the big test to yeah. see whether Sakari could hold her nerve in the next game. I'll, I'll let you set up the next uh, next bit of points because. Yeah. Yeah, so this 5-4 game was when the match really started to get surreal. Um, Sakari started to make a few errors, but uh, Krajikova was playing really well and not giving up anything. Um, Sakari was making like all of her first serves, I think. Like in this entire game, she missed one first serve and she was yep. making some errors off the ground. But Krijikova did well just to get these serves back in play because Sakari, enough of these serves back in play because Sakari, like you said, has improved her serve a lot. These were good serves. Um, yep. And so Sakari saves a break point with a backhand winner cross court, almost identical to the angle Krijikova hit on her swing volley in the prior game. Um, but on the second break point, we just got this crazy, crazy point where Sakari goes on the attack and Krajikova just starts to hit these towering lobs. Um, I think she hits three of them and one of them was so high and bounced so close to the baseline and it almost got over Sakari's head. Yeah, I remember that point. It was so insane because, um, because the lob was so heavy that Sakari couldn't really take it on the rise. She had been pushed so far back by the previous lobs. And this one just had such a high bounce that I think Sakari had to jump and basically hit a defensive overhead to keep it in play. And um, and that might have been my favorite shot of the tournament. And it sets up um, a shot that Krajikova can attack on the next shot, and she does. She hits um, a really sharply angled cross-court backhand that forces an error. Um, Sakari was just forced to cover so much ground. Uh, it was a totally crazy point. I think I laughed out loud afterwards. And, um, and yeah, got her back on serve at 5-all. And and from that point on, she became the better player. Like in the first 10 games of this deciding set, 
it was Sakari who was putting herself in the good positions and yeah. um, sort of dictating play. But after this, Krajikova started to hold her service games more comfortably, and Sakari was the one who was being put under all the pressure. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you pick up the next couple of games. Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, that the, that lob that you're talking about was just insane. I started just laughing out, uh, just just laughing afterwards because I was like, wow, like it actually went over her head, and she's. Yeah, she used that as a as an offensive weapon, and so yeah. I, I think, yeah, her her ability to 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 uh, set up the next shot and be aggressive with it, at least have that intent, is uh, was uh, was such a winning tactic in that game. But I guess after that, uh, my my memory isn't as clear like about those about those last few games. But I just mm-hmm. remember it being extremely uh, tight and not knowing who would come through. And I guess um, it was five all then afterwards, yeah. and it was back on serve, and um, I believe she held serve, right? Yeah, yeah, she is that, did. Is that true? Um, yeah, I can, um, I, I can pick up a bit. Yeah, so, sure. um, so after this, Sakari, um, I thought Sakari was toast at five six because she had gone from serving for the match to serving to stay in the match in about ten minutes, and this was the right. biggest match of her life. And when you're in a situation like that. And it looks like you're going to come through it. And then it just all slips through your fingers in 10 minutes. It just, it's, it would just be so, so difficult to recover, but to her everlasting credit, Sakari fought like a total warrior in these last few games. Um, mm. She was down match point, I think at five, six and six, seven. And I think managed to hold both times. Um, I think she hit an ACE to save one match point, And then she hit two cross court backhand winners to save two right. match points. And um, and one of the reasons why her fight was so amazing was because Krajikova had started to come through her service games pretty easily. I think Sakari didn't get to deuce in any of her last three service games. Um, but all the same, even though it looked like the flow of play was totally against Sakari at this point, she fought so hard and like to get back even at a six all and seven all. And um, and yeah, she just came up with such such brave shots under pressure. It was really amazing to see the intensity level at this point in the match was just through the roof. But um, but finally, it wasn't quite enough. Krejcikova was just relentless. And on the the match point that ended up being decisive, they played a really, really strong forehand-to-forehand rally. Both of them were hitting really cleanly. Um, but Sakari bailed out first with a drop shot that she did not hit well at all. And Krejcikova just got to it easily and swiped a backhand winner down the line into the corner. And her reaction is going to stay with me for a while, I think, because she raised her arms around above her head, which isn't unusual. And her mouth kind of hung open, but but she wasn't shouting. It was more like disbelief or sort of like exhaustion um, at like the immense battle she had just come through. It, it was almost like shock, um, but shock from like a really intense uh, and like attritional battle. Um, so that, that celebration I thought was very fitting for, um, how intense and, uh, closely contested that third set was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now that you bring it, bring it up, I do, I I do remember those backhand cross-court winners, um, at six, seven in those, uh, in that third set with those two match points that Sakari saved. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, that was incredible. I believe she saved three of them, right? I think in saved, total uh, she saved four and lost on her. Three field. of them in the 14th game at 6-7. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, then, and then I think one more actually at 7-8 before she lost. Right. Yeah, so, so I don't think she faced any at 5-6. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I do remember the backhand uh, down the line winner from Kredikova on the, on the match point. And I also do remember the, the, the previous match point that, uh, that, uh, the first match point that Krajikova had was decided on a line call, I believe. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That, oh, my God. Um, that that started the whole Hawkeye on clay uh, thing again. Yeah, um, that was one of those uh, Hawkeye reignited debates. Yeah, yeah that, that was unfortunate because I think it was it was one of Sakari's shots that Krajikova yeah, that was out, but they called in. And then the Hawkeye that they showed on the broadcast said it was out. But right. um, but as we know, clay is a moving surface, and the margin for error with Hawkeye is such that it hasn't been implemented on clay. And so a lot of people rightly question why it's shown on the broadcast at all. Um, and so then you had a lot of people saying on Twitter, like, oh, Krejcikova got robbed. I hope she wins now. Um, 
while it definitely wasn't wrong to root for her, she was playing astonishingly good tennis. Um, it was sort of unfortunate that that kicked up some drama. And I think it would have been much more unfortunate, uh, that drama, if Krejcikova had gone on to lose, because that would have just sent everyone into a frenzy, I think. Yeah, so I think after that, to regroup after that and kind of feel like, oh, this this was my chance, and then to take it on her second match point was uh, must have been such a big relief of emotion at the end, and you describe it well with the celebration. And yeah, I mean, I was also one of those people, I was like, you know, why show it on the broadcast if it's uh, you're just misleading the viewer because it's yeah. uh, it's proven that it's not very accurate and a lot of players don't think it's not very accurate and it's so then you know and then my other point is that you know instead of showing the showing the Hawkeye mark like instead of showing the Hawkeye on on the TV mm-hmm. uh, which is not actually used by the officials like they should zoom in closely on the mark that the umpire is trying to show. Um, because that's what ultimately decides the call anyway. So Yeah, and they do that sometimes. Like, there's no reason why they couldn't do it more. Yeah, so I guess I guess there was that. But it, but nonetheless, it was such a good end to the match. And yeah. uh, well-deserving. I felt gutted for Sakari. Obviously, she came so close. It would have been nice to see two Greeks in the final. Oh, that uh, would both have been on the so men's, cool. yeah. Both on the men's and women's. And you, I, I think she, she said something interesting in her press conference afterwards that she was thinking about the missed opportunities and she yeah. was thinking about how close she is to get to the final. Mm-hmm. And that that's interesting because I, I, I feel like she didn't do much wrong at all. Right. Like I, I was watched... going to say, I couldn't tell. Like she was, yeah. she was so good. I think besides some nerves, some nervy errors in that five, four game, like I don't see this as a choke from her, despite her. Not at all. Point. I think like yeah. she did get tied in the five, four game, but it felt like, um, considering what had just happened in the previous game with Krejcikova saving a match point and the fact that this was the biggest match of each of their lives in singles, it felt like inevitably that game was going to be complicated. Um, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was my I mean, too. I, I mean, the match got to a point after that where they were both hitting the ball so well that it felt like every point was having to be earned, um, which is just the best place that a tennis match can go, where like every um, or most of the point-ending shots are just so good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it, in the end for, uh, the Greeks, it was a bit of a tragedy because you had two of them in the semifinals, but then, um, uh, Sakari losing from match point up and Tsitsipas losing the final from two sets up. But I mean, the future is bright for those, those two. Yeah, Hardly. for sure. Gold medal mixed... incoming perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say they're playing mixed doubles at the, uh, at the Olympics. So, uh, that would be a fun team to watch, but yeah. Um, yeah, but I guess on the other side of the draw, you had a you had a good story with uh, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova as well, getting through mm-hmm. to the final. Um, I believe she had made six quarterfinals before this, but never gotten past that stage. Obviously, a great great player. She had thirty five top ten wins. She was, um, you know, a really successful junior, uh, and like considered a prodigy at like sixteen or seventeen. And uh, I mean, then you just had, uh, you know, some some majors where she wasn't performing at at her very best and just kind of didn't get to that next level mm-hmm. um, for, for a while, but she was such a threat at uh, plenty of other tournaments throughout the year. And she won 12 WTA titles, but finally she gets over the line um, and gets to a major semi beats, beats uh, some really good quality players on to, to this run to, to the final. Yeah. I mean, she beat Sabalenka six love in the third, mm-hmm. which was, which was quite shocking. That, down. Yeah. that was one of the disappointments of the tournament for me to see uh, yeah. Sabalenka lose that way in the third set. She made 17 on four stars and just didn't really show up in the third set at all. That was definitely was disappointing. I, I think we each picked Sabalenka to make the final. Didn't we? we did. We did. Yeah. yeah. I, and, and I think there were some signs that it was coming. I watched Sabalenka's match against Sasnovich in the second round. And, mm-hmm. um, and even though she won in straight sets, she did not play well, like that match should have been closer. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think, um, I think in retrospect, that result isn't as surprising as it might've seemed at the time. Yeah. Makes sense. And she's still yet to get past the fourth round. So that's a, yeah. you know, that's a hurdle that stays with you for. Yeah. I, I mean, it does feel like it. if she continues to play as well as she has this year, it'll fall eventually because she's still, she's still young. She still has the best part of her career to come. You would think. But um, I think all the same, it could be a bit disheartening that she hasn't been able to translate these great results uh, into um, deep runs at majors where it counts the most. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, Pavs continued on. She beat Azarenka from a set down in the fourth round. So that was pretty impressive. And then she came up against Elena Rabakina, who took out Serena Williams in the fourth round. Mm -hmm. And she she lost that first set and then ended up winning 9-7 in the third. And just... yeah. 
so many nerves and so many of those moments must have been coming back, uh, you know, in the back of her brain that, uh, you know, this was the stage where it's where so many disappointments have happened Mm -hmm. in in the past. And she hasn't been able to overcome that hump, but to get through that match must've given her so much self-belief that then she went on and played a very good semifinal um, against Zidanecek in the third, uh, in the, in the semifinals. And I haven't watched a lot of Zidanecek. I just know that Mm -hmm. she, had a very good first round win against uh, Bianca Andrescu. Yeah. And I remember that one going to 9-7 in the third as well. Yeah. So many 9-7 in the thirds in this tournament. I know. Yeah, got a lot of that. And yeah, Zidancek was um, absolutely smashing her forehand, I think. Yeah. Before... I think many people said that it was the biggest shot like left in the WTA. It, it was, yeah. At, I, at the I think time. either before the quarters or the semis, she had clocked more forehand winners than Rafa had. Uh, which right. gives you an idea of how much damage it was doing. See, so, yeah, it was very impressive that Pavlyuchenkova made it through that, and I think impressive physically as well because um, yeah. that that win against Azarenka must have, must have been taxing from a set down. Azarenka being such a great champion, and then yeah. finally overcoming that quarterfinal hurdle, and not easily like nine seven in the third. So that would be physically and mentally cathartic, I think. But no, she just comes back two days later, and um, I think two days later. I think at one point players had to play on back-to-back days, but uh, in any event, comes back and wins her semi in straight sets, um, which was amazing. Yeah, amazing. And then you have this this final between the two, which is uh, you know, which is going to be a feel-good story either way. But many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, you know, I guess if we if we talk a little bit about that final, it's it's interesting to me every time there's first, you know, we've had this now at the French Open where we've just had like unseated players win. Obviously, we had Fiantek last year and then we yeah. had uh, Ostapenko in 2017. She took out Halep. And uh, yeah, and I mean, in 2019, we had Bardi winning. And so so this one, this one was going to be a feel good story either way, but you really just didn't know which way it which way it would go, I guess. Mm-hmm. I had picked Krijikova to win in three sets, but I was uh, I was not very certain about that at all. And they yeah. split the first two sets, and actually Krijikova came out pretty nervous in the opening game and got broken. But then her her uh, form against Sakari kicked in, and she won six games in a row, and it was just... I, I mean, she was overwhelming with the amount of options that she had in her game. Uh, with the heavy shots on the forehand, with the backhand down the line working, with the um, serving really well, you know, returning, just everything was in full gear. And it's like she got rid of all those nerves and just embraced the embraced the moment. And you never know how you're going to handle that first Grand Slam final. But to win that first set 6-1 was, uh, was really... Was 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 really impressive to do that in thirty minutes against yeah. um, against someone with that much experience like Pavlyuchenkova. Yeah, I think winning six games in a row at any point is great, but to do it in a major final must have been just such a such a confidence boost. So I think it's both um, a testament to um, Pavlyuchenkova that she was able to sort of stop that momentum and come back to win the second, yeah. and um, and a testament to uh, Krajikova and her uh, mental strength that she was then able to turn it back around and win the third after the disappointment of that second. And I think Pavlyuchenkova was struggling physically. Um, yeah, she she was actually serving for the set at 5-1 in the second set and got broken there. And then I believe she had a, some kind of a strapping on her thigh or like, and so she was a little bit restricted in her movement. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but nonetheless, it was such a great effort to win that second set and then just turn put the pressure yeah. right back on Krajikova. And I believe the third set is when it got interesting because they both started playing better and close to their best at the same time, finally, mm-hmm. which is obviously the recipe to a good match when both players are playing their best kind of at the same time and responding and one's asking questions, the other's answering them. And it's just a, it's just a nice back and forth. And then I believe Krajikova at three all played this wonderful game to break. And um, yeah, at this point, my stream accidentally cut off. So I don't remember exactly how she broke, but I, I know that she broke at love and it was um, some, some great returns. Um, Pabianchenkova missed a few, missed a couple of first serves and uh, Krajikova responded. And then it was up to her to hold her nerve, which she which she did so well, you know, at the end, yeah. closing it out. So, yeah, yeah really definitely. emphatic victory in the end. Yeah, really emphatic victory yeah, in the um, end for her. Yeah, Krajikova did well to hold her nerve because when she was trying to consolidate the breaks, she got taken to thirty all and then deuce. And um, mm-hmm. uh, but she she held serve and then she ended up serving out the match to um to fifteen, I think. Um. Which, yeah. which was really impressive because I think she was tight early in the match. Like when it was clear that Pavlyuchenkova was struggling physically, uh, Krajikova was having sort of a, not, not a new issue that tennis players have. She was sort of getting tight because she knew it yeah. was making her chances of winning better. And so as a result was sort of struggling to hit just away from Pavlyuchenkova, but, but eventually she did get over, um, she did get over that. And um, yeah, it was impressive because Pavlyuchenkova also saved two championship points in the three, five game, I think. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, again, to be able to respond to that sort of justice she did in, in the semifinal with Sakari, uh, just responding nervously to all, uh, all the clutch play from her opponent and just going on to, um, to keep holding serve anyway, that's, it's not easy at all. Usually holds like that from match point down results in not usually, but a lot of the time they can result in a huge switch in momentum and Kriju just simply yeah. wouldn't let that happen. Yeah, and I think she's done a great job also because she plays so much doubles. Her court sense and her IQ is so good yeah. that she senses her opportunity uh, with those loopy ground strokes to then actually come into the net and close out volleys and finish. Uh, you know, when she, And she was clinical at the net in this match. I mean, 11 for 15 at the net is a very good number. Yeah, And she, she had 34 winners to just 31 unforced errors. Um, I mean, I guess not just, but a plus three differential in a, in a final is always... Uh, it's always a yeah. good sign. And same with same with uh, Pavlyuchenkova. She had 23 winners and 16 errors. So, you know, overall a very good, you know, quality match finish to the tournament. The only thing is that we we don't have continuity right now in the women's game. So uh, we're those of us who follow tennis, you know, we we love it. It's crazy that we, you know, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the tournament, we all had Barty, Shviantek, Muguruza, yeah. you know, all getting there. And we were, we were feeling very sure about it because, I mean, they were consistent throughout the whole year. So why would you not, you know, right? then think it reasonable for them to go, get to the second week? But And obviously, Shviantek being a big favorite. But then the way the, the women's draw just completely, uh, you know, became the unknown was just was just crazy to see. And, it, you know, it, it, it would be great to see a few more players win a second major and get that get some of that continuity and we could have these rivalries that I keep talking about, you know, that we could mm-hmm. for, yeah. I'm, for I, 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 other I fans. That, that would be quite cool. And we did get to see some of what that offers this year with uh, Barty and Sabalenka who played yeah. a bunch of times, uh, each one, um, like it wasn't one-sided. Um, they were competitive matches and Hey, rivalries like draw publicity. Uh, they make the atmosphere more intense, but I do think it's also inevitable that, players are going to win their second majors. Like I, it is still hard for me to imagine that Sviantec does not win another Roland Garros yeah. title. Um, and I think, um, so I think at the same time that it might be nice to see top players like Duke it out uh, more consistently. Like it's still so nice to follow these stories. And I think, um, yeah. I think if you look at the draw, th- there maybe weren't as many surprises as it might seem because the, the, uh, Barty didn't lose. She had to pull out her. So like technically right. she lost, but it wasn't as if her tennis failed her. Um, I mean, Coco Goff and Paula Bedosa, who was, we were picking to do pretty well. And I think a lot of people were as well, both made the quarterfinals. Um, Sviantek may have lost, but she made the quarterfinals without dropping a set. And she yep. was taken out by Sakari who had had a great year. Um, 
And it wasn't as if the other players in the quarterfinals found themselves there by accident. Like Rubakina took out Serena Williams. Uh, Pavlyuchenkova took out um, Azarenka. Um, Krejcikova yeah. took out Stevens and uh, Svitolina. So, um, and Zidanecek was hitting all these forehand winners. I have to um, take a look at her draw. But um, yeah, I think while, um, yeah, she took out uh, Cersea, um and Andrescu in the first round, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think while um, it is that was impressive because Andrescu yeah. was serving for the match, and so yeah, and that's the kind of match that Andrescu seems to always find a way to win. Like those close yeah. ones when it looks like she's exhausted, uh, she yeah. just finds such clutch shots. So it was amazing that Zidanecek not only won that, but then won five more rounds as well. Um, I think just uh, for a positive, round, for a positive, because you you know you mentioned you mentioned that overall, like because these players you know, absolutely deserve to get there. And they, the players that they took out and, you know, I guess there weren't that many surprises. If you look at injuries, like, because, um, you know, obviously Muguruza wasn't super fit coming in. She yeah. lost, I believe in the first round to Kostiuk. Kostiuk had a great run herself to the fourth round. Then you have, um, and Kostiuk, I believe lost to Shviantek in the fourth round, but then you have, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you have an Andrescu well-played match could have gone either way. And then Sedancic gets to the semis and then, yeah. And then Barty, we just, is is really unfortunate because she was having the best season of anyone this year, and then she got hurt in the second round. So unfortunate from her. But I will, I'm also enjoying the contrast because on the men's you have the predictable Djokovic Nadal's, um, and because uh, it's a group of kind of top four or five players that made it pretty far in, uh, yeah. on the men's side. And then here you had, you know, stories where you feel like in the third or fourth round, like one match could kind of change the trajectory of the draw in such yeah. a big way that it's like those third, fourth round matches feel really pivotal to the tournament. You yeah, know? you can get fourth rounds that feel like finals sometimes, like uh, Muguruza Osaka at the Australian Open felt sort yeah. of like that. Whereas, like, you know, on the men's, there's a sense of inev- inevitability that, mm-hmm. okay, this might be a great match. It might be, like, a, you know, for instance, Rude versus Fokina. Great right. match, you know, one of the matches, best matches of the first week, but you yeah. knew but that... it had no relevance to who was eventually going to win. Yeah. Yeah, versus, like, on the women's side, like you're saying, Osaka and yeah, you know, and Muguruza, and there's matches like that that you can pinpoint. Yeah. So I think it just speaks to the insane depth that there's, you know, like between one and fifty. Oh, absolutely. There's really, yeah. There's really no, no, yeah, no place to separate and, them. And, and I see a lot of um, argument on Twitter sometimes about what's better, like sort of this this depth or um, or these top players having this con- these consistent rivalries. And my stance is sort of like, why not just enjoy both? Like, um, yeah, so- sometimes it's almost like the two separate tours or two separate sports. And I think that can be really cool. Like, um, like mm-hmm. uh, check out the WTA having all these like super close, uh, really high quality matches in the third and the fourth round, like a Bedosa and um, Anna Bogdan. And in the third round was one of the matches of the tournament is just spectacular. Um, and on yeah. the men's side, you don't really get matches like that, but you do get uh semifinals like Nadal Djokovic or finals like uh, Djokovic Federer a lot of the time. Um, and so it, it's like each tour has a unique thing to offer in that respect. And so while it would be cool if, uh, if the ATP were deeper or if the WTA had um, a bit more consistency at the top, I think like if you watch both, then I think you get the full experience. Yeah. So, um, Yep, absolutely. And I think, you know, if the if the top players stay healthy, that's a big thing as well, because oh, unfortunately, it's yeah. just a, that time of the, you know, unfortunate, like, coincidences that so many of these top players are actually hurt, because, like, Halep was also hurt, and, yeah. you know, Osaka, obviously, unfortunate with the situation she had to pull out, so... Yeah, th- like, these top players are really just going through hell now with... Um, yeah. Yeah, because you have Barty who um, had to pull out of this tournament. She had won pretty recently. You have Osaka who got completely screwed over by the FFT and Roland Garros and all the majors, really, and now has pulled out of Wimbledon um, to recover mentally. And and you have Halif, defending champion at Wimbledon, who may not even be able to play. Um, Yeah, it's just brutal. Yep. But uh, nonetheless, but, but at, the, at the same time, like you said, the tour is so deep that it's not as if we have uh, Djokovic pulling out of Wimbledon or something, basically leaving like no top mm-hmm. contenders. Like you still have so many on the WTA. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I just think the tour is in a great place because a lot of these I think so. top players are super young. Um, I mean, Sviantek, who was the favorite to win this tournament. And I think a lot of people were disappointed that she didn't. Like, she's still only 20. Um, yeah. Like, she she's got so many great years ahead of her. Um, she's yet to even really fully play on, uh, on grass, right? Like she won Wimbledon juniors in 2018, I think. Yeah. Like we don't even really know what she can do, um, in a Wimbledon main draw yet. 
Um, right. So I, I think if for a lot of these players and like Coco Golf is coming up, she's just made a quarterfinal at a major. So I think with a lot of these players, if we just give them a couple of years, we're just going to be um, so. Yeah. And, and even Krajikova, you know, I don't rule out the possibility that she could be a consistent, you know, top 20, top 30 player as well, because yeah. she's, uh, this was her first, this was her fifth main draw of a major. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like that's like insane to win. A, so she's got good years ahead as well. To, to win them, you know, your first major and your fifth main draw, I believe Selish and Bianca and rescue won it on their fourth appearance that's insane so yeah. so that's i mean i mean sellish was like 17 at the time so yeah and, and she, she was also um a total actually 16 she well. was she was not even 17 she was 16 years old yeah and she won yeah. she won her first major but i mean that was a different time yeah i mean I dominating guess, in your teen years is just so amazing yeah yeah and then and then yeah um yeah so so i guess you know and then obviously she's a great doubles player as well and she's going to keep yeah continuing that run and i see no reason why you know she can't be in more second weeks and back this up. Um, you know, maybe maybe not Wimbledon right away, but I guess yeah. she's definitely in the conversation and in, in, in the mix. <laughs> yeah, in the mix, as I say. Yeah, and I like how you didn't jump to hyperbole and say, like, Krijiko is going to win so many more majors because I do think that it is unlikely that the draw will be this um, this open in the future. Yeah. But um, I totally agree with what you said, that she can sort of consistently make... Um, like third round, fourth round, quarterfinals at yeah. majors if she continues to play this well. Because um, the draw will not always be that kind, but if she continues to play that well, she will be ready to take advantage of it if it is. And even if it isn't, she'll be able to more than hold her own. So um, yeah. I've been disappointed so many times in the past by by these hyperboles and whatnot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I've, I fell victim to them myself. I was also like this. I used to, I was just like, oh my God, she's going to win 10 majors. She's right, going to, you right. know. She's going to and rescue after the US one. Open, I think. Um, yeah. I think pretty much everyone in the world, um, yeah, jumps. So, up. I've learned yeah. you have to be pretty conservative in the yeah. way you you talk about these players after winning, yeah. And I guess I, I it's the I'm, same, it's the same thing. Like on, on hard courts, I guess we've seen a lot of consistency, right? I mean, Brady got yeah. to the finals of uh, of the Australian and she made the semis of the US, and right. And, you know, and Osaka's and, like winning both of those, yeah. She's won four, yeah. and they've all been on hard courts, so yeah, it's. So, so I, I think we're in a better place on the women's tour. I, I think you can look at it both glass half full. And, uh, you know, this was just an unfortunate case where I think just so many top players were hurt. And also the, the players yeah. who got there, they beat so many good top players along the way that you just felt like the quality didn't suffer at all. The the shot making and the, the drama was there. I mean, yeah. so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, to anyone who might complain about the ranking of the players who were there at the end of the tournament, I'll ask them like, were you disappointed by the tennis that they ended up playing? Because like, yeah. if, if they watched it, I have a tough time believing that they would be, it was, it was great, you know? Um, yeah. And so, so yeah, I think, um, and that's the great thing about majors being as often as they are, because we get, um, we've had two this year, we get two more things are so different at every single major, like Wimbledon's not going to pan out like this did because, uh, there are 128 players in the draw. Like things will be different. Um, players yeah, will go farther or less far, and so it's um, it's nice because each each major is like a chapter in this everlasting and epic story, and um, and each one is totally different. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I can't wait to see what happens next. I can't wait to see what happens either. And I guess we could talk a little bit about Serena, who got to the yeah, fourth round. Definitely. Um, you know, she had some. I, I I definitely never thought she had a chance of winning this tournament. Um, I I saw it more as a lead up to. Wimbledon, where I feel like her chances are a lot stronger, and even mm-hmm. at the Australian and US Open, maybe one more time. But I felt like, um, and you know, her form wasn't so great coming in. She was one and two in the three matches that she had played, yeah. and uh, you know, close first set tiebreak in her first round. She had to save two set points. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow got out of that. Um, then I believe, yeah, an- another like you know, closely fought second round, and that and the third round against Danielle Collins was kind of encouraging because that's the match I- where I, I had was, her. Yeah. I had her actually going out in my predictions. I, I had her, I had Collins setting Serena in the third round and she was 4-1 up in the uh, second set was Collins before right. uh, Serena, Serena did a Serena and won five games in a row. Yeah, so that was encouraging. an impressive turnaround, yeah. That was encouraging for her, but then she came up against a really big hitter and somebody who was in great form before the pandemic hit in Elena Rabakina. She made four out of five finals or something crazy like that mm-hmm. um, in the early part of 2020. And then, yeah, I mean, the pandemic kind of halted her momentum and then she kind of stayed steady at around third, fourth round of majors and big tournaments around 20 in the world. But Rabakina played a very impressive match to, um, to, 
to beat her. And, you know, she was wrong footing Serena. She was hitting big off the ground. Yeah. She was serving extremely well. And when Serena broke back in the second set, you thought, okay, this could be, this could be, this has kind of been Serena's story since she's come back from motherhood, where she's kind of had these uh, resurgent periods and matches where you feel like, okay, now's the time where the momentum is going to change. And yeah. she's going to take that second set and then win that third. But somehow, but these young, uh, stronger and stronger players who have nothing to lose. Um, and that now we're seeing there's a cast of many more on the WTA who can do that mm-hmm. um, to where they don't feel that aura that Serena has, has, has had, you know, for the last 15, 20 years where they feel like, okay, I can, I can match Serena power for power. I can do this. And they, they sense that belief and, um, and, and they capitalize. And obviously Serena, you know, is going to take some confidence having won three matches here and then, just like Roger getting to the fourth round. And, you know, I like her, I like her chances to go, to go far at Wimbledon because I just think it's such a natural surface for her. She can get so many more free points on the first serve, which she can't really get on clay. And, um, you know, not, not as many players are comfortable on it. So I think that'll be, that'll be interesting. What was your take on Serena's run? Yeah. I I mean, that was a great summation. I don't have too much to add. I mean, Serena (laughs) is someone who has had several chapters of this book to book of majors all to herself. Um, but at, at this point in her career, on her worst surface, which is clay, I think it's not—it's just not realistic to expect her to win. Um, and so, so I did expect her to go out um, somewhere between third round and quarterfinals. But all the same, when the draw was opening up as much as it was, and she—and um, although um, she wasn't like a big favorite against Rabakina, it was definitely a winnable match. I think uh, mm-hmm. so. I, I did start to um, have a couple of those questions, like, what if the draw keeps opening up? What if she wins this match in the next one? Um, but yeah, I think Rabakina played very well, but I think her refusal to buckle in big moments at all was um, what stuck out most to me um, because mm-hmm. she was under um, some pressure at times. I mean, she had to serve out the match, I think. And like, she didn't blink. Yeah. It was almost, it felt anticlimactic um, in the most impressive way. Um, and I agree with you that Serena will um, have a lot of good takeaways from this, like winning three matches, um, I think at her worst major at this stage of her career is, is great. Um, and like you said, this was almost a warm up for Wimbledon um, where basically all parts of her game are going to do more damage. Like her serve and return are going to be more devastating. Her ground strokes are going to be harder to get back. Um, points are going to be shorter. So physically it shouldn't be as big of an ask. And like you said, I think the clay, uh, the field overall is weaker on grass than it is on clay. Um, so I think if that's one, um, that's probably the major that's going to happen this year that she is the best shot at. I think um, Roland Garros and to a lesser extent U S open, she's not a top contender anymore, but I think uh, Wimbledon because it's a great service surface for her and the Australian open because um, she can make sure she's going into that one totally fresh and um, well-practiced. I think she still has shots at. Yeah, absolutely. And then another thing I'll just add is that Wimbledon does their seedings a little bit differently. So on the men's side, you know, they've been doing the uh, grass court formula. And uh, grass-based seating, Wimbledon-based seating formula for the last twenty years, but uh, this year they've decided to go just go back to the rankings. Uh, that's on the men's side, but on the women's side, they've always made um, special instance cases where um, they they go off the rankings, but then in certain situations they'll seed players. So in that in in that situation, it's possible that Serena's seating could be a little bit higher, maybe in the top four yeah. this time around, which may play out how the draws work in her favor obviously there was a time three years ago when she was coming back from maternity leave and so the tournament felt that it was probably necessary to seed her just based on her standing at that tournament mm-hmm. and obviously seven time champion and yeah you know yeah i mean if anyone deserves a seed bump it's her absolutely um, so yeah, yeah. And, and i'm glad we're getting the chance to talk about this because this um this seeding formula was sort of the first i had ever heard of it when i saw the tweet today because um in 2019 when Wimbledon happened um, I was writing a bit, but I wasn't active on Twitter. And so I never mm-hmm. really knew how they did the seedings and the tournament didn't happen in 2020. So the tweet yeah. that I saw today was sort of the first, um, first time I realized like how they do things. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a couple problems with, um, with like the professional tennis committee, like making changes if they see fit. But for me, the bigger problem is that they, they aren't doing it the same way for both tours. I don't see yeah. any reason why that has to happen. See, because it seems kind of, uh, unnecessary for them to keep continuing it that way in my opinion especially after you know especially now that we're in 2021 i think they could do better with equality on both sides oh yeah uh, yeah i mean they... we've, 
we've heard talks of an ATP WTA merger. I think most people in the sport should agree that um, complicated logistics aside, it would be beneficial for everyone. And this is just yeah. a step in the complete wrong direction from that. I think I feel like it wouldn't even matter much to me, like which side made the concession or or got the benefit, if you will. Um, like I think for me as a fan, there's not much difference between just going off rankings and um, and using this formula. Um, yeah. And I feel like feel like both are fair in their own way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like if if you are getting a bump, it's for a good reason. Um, or mm-hmm. I hope at least I don't know who's on this committee. Um, and yeah. and rankings, you can argue with either because like you earned those points and didn't earn other points. So yeah, it, it just seems pointless to me that they're doing it in different ways. Yeah, I, I say whatever you do, just keep it consistent. You know. Yeah. Don't... Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess grass will be interesting. It'll be it'll be fun to monitor what goes on on the WTA side. You know, obviously, uh, you know, tournaments going on right now in five hundreds, and and you know, next week we have some some big tournaments. Andrescu is back playing again, which is always good to see. She she that's lost to Cornet Cornet this week, but I think she's finally she's losing close matches, and that's good. She's healthy mm-hmm. and she's starting to find a groove again. And um, yeah, I guess. Uh, We'll follow closely what happens uh, next week, and um, and soon the draw will, draws will come out for both both tours. And uh, yeah, actually, we do also want to mention to our listeners we did do another episode uh, with TikTok Tennis, and it was a kind of a collab that we we did, and we came up with some fun lists and uh, uh, you know discussing the women's and men's game who we think will fare well at Wimbledon, mm-hmm. uh, dark horses and contenders. So yeah. definitely check out that podcast because uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. James, who runs the TikTok Tennis uh, at TikTok Tennis account on Twitter, reached out to us and asked if we would be willing to uh, make a couple of predictions for Wimbledon. So we um, so that'll be coming out soon. And make sure to check out the TikTok Tennis Twitter and YouTube pages because they're great little recaps done in a minute. This will be a bit longer because, uh, as you know, with us by now, we can't stop talking about tennis. Um, and yeah, James also makes these great graphics um, that show the results for matches. So if you're not already, go follow him at TikTok Tennis. Yep, and follow all of our tennis uh, coverage at the TNNS app where you can get updates to all of our podcasts and you can follow all the scores and results and everything going on in the tennis world. And obviously leave us a review on iTunes. That's always much appreciated. Feel free to DM any one of us, Owen and Andre and me, uh, on our Twitter accounts. And uh, yeah, um, enjoy the grass season and we'll be back with more episodes. Yeah, yeah, we're always happy to answer your questions. I've been taking a slight break from following tennis. Um, slight break for me is just watching it like a bit every day instead of like all day every day um, because of the Roland Garros yeah. burnout. But I am still writing a little bit. And um, yeah, I will be back fully for Wimbledon. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. Yep. Thanks. Thanks uh, to all of our listeners. And uh, we'll be back with more. And thank you, Owen, for joining me. And uh, we'll keep on doing more. Yeah, of course. Always a highlight of uh, of my day and my tennis following life. So yeah. See you next time. See you next time. All right. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 